0: Hello and welcome to Towards a Smarter World. This is Cruz Saunders, your host. I'm joined today by Patrick Bosek. Patrick is a co-founder of Jorsec LLC, makers of EasyDita at easydita.com. Since 2005, Patrick has been working on a wide range of projects, all focused on improving authoring, production, and distribution of content. Patrick advances product documentation industry holistically and empowers his users. We're glad to have Patrick on as someone who develops, productizes, and solves problems with product content software. He's a developer, thoughtful manager, passionate customer advocate. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks, Chris. Glad to
1: be here. Let's jump into structured authoring. What do you see as the future of structured authoring? So I think structured authoring and probably structured content that's generated as a part of that is the larger conversation. I really do view that as being the future of content in general, or at least content that's worth maintaining. Any kind of content that's going to be put out over different devices, any content that's more knowledge-based rather than one-off style communication. I think that's all going to move to structured content in some variety or another. As it relates specifically to structured authoring, one of the things that I see happening today, maybe not predicting but hoping changes a little bit is that the conversation becomes less of a a format wars conversation, which I think is kind of prevalent inside of at least technical content right now and really refocuses on just what are the right tools for different jobs and how do you mix those together. So I think that structured authoring as a whole is going to be a combination of formats, a combination of technologies, all working together to accomplish various goals in a patchwork fashion, but in one that comes together to, to form a greater whole. So in that fashion. I think we're going to see more XML, probably more markdown, more fully structured custom schema, you know, generally as a function of JSON objects, those types of things. I think we're going to see a lot less Word. We're going to see a lot less formats that are proprietary, or maybe I hope so anyways. I love the
0: concept of the format wars. It seems like a uh, the name of a sequel in there somewhere. But can you talk a little bit about the format wars?
1: Yeah. So you have the group of people on one side who think that data and whatever their variety of, of XML is the absolute right way to do things. And then you have the people on the other side who are saying, oh, that stuff's too complicated. Markdown's faster. We should just use markdown or restructured text or one of the semi-structured formats. And then you've got another group of individuals who are like, you know, none of this stuff really does what we want it to do. We need custom schemas. And those custom schemas used to be XML. Nowadays, they're JavaScript and they're JSON primarily. I think that when you read down through the threads and through the conversations, people seem to think that it's one or the other, It's like, oh, Markdown's the right way to do it, or no, Markdown's not the right way to do it. Dita's the right way to do it, or none of those things do what I want to do. But the reality is that there's a place for all of them, and you actually see that in what the Dita technical community is doing. It's like they're actively bringing in Markdown. They're making it so Dita can go to Markdown, and Markdown can go to Dita, and that's because I think there's a great wisdom in that community to say yes, there are places where you need the full strict structure and componentization that Dita provides, and there are other places where you need things to be faster and looser. And it's really more important that they integrate more easily with developer tools. So, you know, there are things that you can write in what are traditionally viewed as developer IDs and things like that. But at the end of the day, your customer or your consumer, whoever they may be, they don't care. The this stuff was written. They care that it's accurate. They care that it's consistent. They care that it all searches the same. You know, there's not weight being put on one or the other. And they care that they're receiving the knowledge quickly, which is another way of saying they don't have to read a bunch of stuff they don't care about to get to the stuff that they do care about. So I think that when we look at the format wars, everybody's gonna kind of wake up and be like, there's a place for all this. It's all structured. It's a range of lightly semi-structured up to very structured. And depending on the application, We're going to apply one of these technologies or a combination of these technologies, and we're going to focus on the end result more and less on what our dogma is in terms of which structured format we like best for our current objectives.
0: Wow. I think very aligned in this regard. At A, we're working on the master content model, which is essentially a way to try to unify all of the various standards and markup languages and renditions of structured content. We look at the need to create sort of system agnostic, even standard agnostic content models owned by the enterprise that represent schema in a way that's independent of all of the way the representations that content takes along supply chain. So we look at semi-structured or sometimes we call it pseudo-structured content as a good entry point into a supply chain that then moves forward into uh, XML forms aligned potentially with data and then further downstream gets enriched with other annotation and metadata that might be, um, for example, uh, schema.org, uh, various forms of schema.org markup, which could be JSON-LD or any other markup variant that can represent the same elements within a model. I love this idea that it's not a, a this versus that technology. It's a let's find the best representation for our given publishing need because our content ecosystems are far more complex than a single standard can usually represent. And certainly a single authoring environment or a single publishing model. We have to create systems that are sort of independent. Does that generally make sense with your vision?
1: Yeah, I'd really like to add on top of that. So I do think we're aligned. I think that effectively what you're describing is what we prescribe to people. The thing that I would really add to that is that like having that perspective is important and then choosing your tooling around it in such a way that it really supports it is also really important. So one of the big things that we advocate, well, actually there's two really big things that we advocate for that I think line up with this. Regardless of what repositories you pick, they need to be open. That doesn't mean they need to be open source software. It means that you need to be able to get Get your content in and out of them in an open standard, or at least in a well-defined internal standard, so one that your organization has come up with seamlessly. So you can't have any vendor, like tool vendor input into your content structure. So if you choose a tool vendor that uses markdown, it should use the most vanilla form of markdown or your form of markdown, period. It shouldn't be their version of markdown. If you choose a vendor that implements data as a standard, it's got to be data. It can't be their data or almost data or based on data. It's got to be data, And it's like, this is the benefit of these things. So like, if they implement anything from schema.org, it's got to be those things. So there's that. And then building on that, regardless of what hat I'm wearing at any given time. So if it's just like giving general advice to people in the industry or having conversations and advocating for things or wearing my easy data hat, which is obviously I'm a vendor. The other thing I'll tell you is stay away from vendor proprietary schema. Is. I know that there are vendors out there like hat tools and stuff like that. They have cool tools and they do cool things. And oftentimes it's very easy to do cool things with them quickly. But be they traditional desktop hat tool or be they learning system or some type of um, custom wiki, eventually you're going to outgrow it or you're going to move away from it and it's going to be a problem. If you choose to go with a vendor's content format that has a, that has a time limit on it, it's going to cause problems in the future guaranteed every single time. It's just a matter of how long long it takes and how long it stands around and then how big of a problem it creates at the end. Those are kind of the two big things for me. Choose systems that stay open and can be used programmatically via APIs. And don't choose systems where you're adopting a vendor's content format. Right on.
0: And that's really refreshing to hear from a vendor. And I have to say it's also not common. I find that most of the vendors with the largest footprints with enterprise have a very strong incentive to create content lock-in and it creates significant friction when we're trying to to unify supply chains when in order to get content from point to point, we have to do a lot of manual transformation because of the unavailability of of basic uh, API methods. And so it's very, I think, important for vendors to consider the long-term picture of such a lock-in strategy. Can you speak to the vendors that are interested in locking content up in a proprietary schema, why should they consider change in strategy now?
1: that's a fun question. Oh boy, where do I start with that? There's kind of the altruistic answer to that. And then I think there's the business answer to that. The altruistic answer to that is it's the right thing to do. You provide more value and you do it in a way that is better for the knowledge at the organizations you serve. And the thing is like, that's a win for your customers, which is ideally why you're in business, right? I guess you can be in business for a couple of reasons. One of them is purely to just make money. But another one is that you think you're putting value out in the world and people should compensate you for it. If you're in the second case, You put more value out when you don't lock people into something, you make it easier for them to build ecosystems, rather than trapping them inside of what are effectively silos, I guess I hate that term. And I could come back and talk for a whole hour on why I hate the term silo. But in this particular case, I think it's appropriate. So I think that there's that like altruistic aspect of it, like, it's just the right thing to do for both your customer, and I think for the vendor itself. And then there's the business aspect of it. So the business aspect of it is that this is where things are going. And you're either going to be there or you aren't. And I think that that can't be understated. So if we look at what's happening in the marketplace right now, we see that structured content is kind of like very, very horizontally infiltrating all of these functions that we weren't sure that it was going to infiltrate. So it's becoming the underpinning for web publishing. It's moving into systems in ways that we don't expect. One of the examples I'll use from our customer base, because this is a really unexpected example, and I'm gonna get back to how this ties into the business (laughs) discussion, I promise. So one of our customers is American College of Surgeons. And they publish a book called the Cancer Staging Manual. It's the International Authority on Staging Cancer. Everybody uses this to say, okay, you've got X stage cancer. And then that translates into treatment, which is also on the book. In the past, it was a book, which we all know doesn't integrate with anything very well, except people. And when they transitioned over to our product, EasyData, it's now in an API. And the API can be consumed directly by the EMR, EHR systems vendors. So when doctors pull, up their system to get the content that describes how to stage and treat cancer, that content isn't manually transcoded from a book into a database. It's a direct connection. It's got consistency, update times. There's just a whole huge list of value around that. But it's like one of these little areas where you never expect to be sitting in a doctor's office and have structured content be the pipe that comes in and generates the care plan that they're putting together for you. But it's there. So it's happening all over the place. And it's what's backing all this API Delivery, which is the future of content, this legacy notion of, of web delivered content where it's like, okay, you get WordPress and then you go type stuff into WordPress and then you pick a WordPress theme and it shows up on your WordPress site. Like that's going away for the most part. I mean, obviously, there will always be WordPress. There will always be some need for like simple blogs, but it's too slow. It's not flexible enough. It's too hard to reuse your content for different deliverables, blah, 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 all the way up to tool chain to like the bigger versions of WordPress, your big WCM softwares. This like type and render model, just it isn't the right model. And people are starting to see that. You can't deploy fast enough. You can't iterate fast enough. You can't reuse content effectively enough. You're locked inside of a vendor silo. You can't utilize things from other parts of the organization effectively enough. You can't have other parts of the organization utilize your content well enough. And so it slows your, the whole company down. So when you're a tools vendor and you're looking at you know how you're going to put together your content product, you need to be thinking in terms of we deliver content as an API, as a connection, as a framework, not we generate HTML pages that people read, Oh my gosh.
0: And everybody is in this life cycle of evolution at different parts of the organization. Of course, in the technical communications arena, structured content has been the norm in many cultures for years. In many other parts of the organization, topic-based authoring, structured authoring in general, is not only not normal, it's completely foreign. And so there's this cultural shift and awareness shift that's happening Across the enterprise. I believe that Easy Data plays an interesting role in that it seems like your product appeals to the onboarding of folks who are not traditionally used to structure. What do you tell authoring groups that have only written in presentation coupled environments, right? They're only used to creating sort of marketing tactics or campaigns where the content has been built inside of? of a wireframe or a presentation format from the very earliest form and now all of a sudden we're asking people to look at content very differently in that needs to be decoupled. How do you help people make that mental shift from presentation coupled content to modular topic oriented content?
1: That's a great question. I actually kind of feel like I should be asking you this question. (laughs) It's tough. You know, I think the thing is, we're kind of in early days, I think, for the shift for some groups. Like you said, this is the norm in tech pubs. And we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, it's been the majority of my career, which is every day a little bit longer. And we've been in tech pubs most of the time. So I think in a lot of ways, when you start talking to people who are in marketing or even learning or really any other info dev group, you have to talk in terms of what they're looking to accomplish now, like how their jobs have changed. And I think it doesn't serve anybody to not be really upfront about the change, really, your jobs have changed, things have changed. And at this point in time, you're not ahead of it anymore. Like there's no way to be ahead of it, because like all this stuff is already happening. If you want to be able to keep up from the perspective of rapid publishing, rapid iteration, being able to do app integrated publishing, being able to drive more consistent messaging, being able to have a completely presentation agnostic content, which is to say device agnostic content and being able to deliver that all intelligently at this point in time, like it's still kind of in the, I would say somewhere in the early adopters phase, but it's, we're very rapidly getting to a point where your only option is going to be to fast follow because in every single industry, there are marketing teams that are doing this. So if you're not doing it this way, you're already behind some other people who are and the ability to put messaging out, that's going to be more consistent, have a a more gradual slope from pure value to technical proof is really big. What's traditional there? Traditional is marketing people go and they put something up on the website that's meant to entice you and how factually accurate it is can range. Obviously, we all try to be as accurate as we can, but really more of it's ad copy. It's trying to entice you to look at things and do a little bit of light education. And then immediately you're in a documentation. So it's like this big step function, right? It goes from pure marketing content to doc style content and like nothing in between. And the future is that ramp is much more gradual. You have your doc site and your website and all your materials as a more gradual curve going from very high level messaging to integrating technical proof along the way along the customer journey more gradually. So it's easier to consume, it's easier to understand. And this is one of the things that being able to share across these teams is going to enable people. And it's one of the reasons that you should be catching up and you should be looking at this methodology as quickly as you can. So I think there's a whole plethora of reasons to do this. And I could sit here and list off reasons. For the rest of this podcast, as to why I think people should be moving in this direction. But that's kind of where we start with this. So it's like, you're interested in structured content. Tell me why. Here's why I think you should be interested. By the way, it's going to be a change. This isn't business as usual. So that's not the right version of that idiom, is not it? Business as usual? <laughs> right. <laughs> Some reason it doesn't sound right right now. So, anyways, but it's kind of new day stuff. So look at it that way and get excited about it because it's going to be better. It's going to mean new things for you, new opportunities, new challenges. And, you know, I think the groups that love this stuff are the ones that are going to succeed. So let's love it and do it right.
0: I think we need to find ways to make those on-ramps as accessible as possible to the creative class. I mean, there's such an incredible variety of customer experiences that we're trying to create within an enterprise. And there's a lot of different kinds of people involved in the development of those experiences across a lot of groups that are understanding of their role within information development and the need for those assets they're creating to be reused. And there's others who, see a lot of their role as in communication is primarily ephemeral or campaign-driven or creative-focused with a one-time render kind of mindset. And they all have different tools. A lot of creatives are working just in illustrator and doing mock-ups and taking everything from a wireframe forward. And every time any content is discussed, it's always discussed relative to presentation. And so I always am looking at, well, how can we capture that content and move it down stream in a way that allows it to move towards structure. Because just to your point, where there's a graduated motion between pre-sales and post-sales content, and sometimes it's the product content itself. I mean, we work with software companies where content is both selling the product and then it's in the product and it is the product. (laughs) And then there's the supporting of the product and the post-sales content. But then there's also other parts of that lifecycle where the same content used on the marketing website is also used in a post-sales support portal to help to upsell additional products. So there's all these permutations of content along that life cycle. I think it's incumbent upon the architects of these life cycles to help capture the content in the mode that our authors are used to and get them into our systems of record as in as organized a way as possible, but then help other people to do additional structuring and annotation of the content so we don't have to rely on creatives to just blow up the way they work. This is challenging. This is really hard stuff that we're talking about here, but you're right. It's the kind of essence of the change we're within.
1: I agree with all that. And I think that what it's, it's going to come down to is that the teams are going to look different, right? And I think they already do in a big way. So I think where marketing teams in the past were probably purely creatives, they're just not anymore. I think that there's developers on every team today or people who are more in the technical side of things. And I think that in a lot of ways, you kind of need that same transition for information architects and like content people, you know, be they tech writers or whatever it may be. I think a lot of the stuff too, you know, kind of flows from a chain. In how people buy and what it means to be a customer. So when you think about your business from a very top level, is predicated on people. If you're a subscription company, staying, keep maintaining subscription. If you're not a subscription company, it's repeat customers. And in today's world, we don't have brand loyalty the way we used to in the past because there's just marketplaces have changed. You can one-click buy stuff on Amazon. Blah 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 blah. All that stuff. It's very easy to find new brands and to switch quickly. So. what's your wall? What's your competitive moat against competition? And it may be a number of things, but one of the things it definitely is, is it's knowledge, it's education. So one of the things that I say here, and also to some of our customers when we get on this topic, is that an educated customer is a more valuable customer and is more likely to be a customer in the future. Because if somebody takes the time to educate themselves on how your company does business and what the best ways to use your software or your product are, and they come to really know those things really really well it's natural for them to continue using them that's the replication of brand loyalty it's a knowledge loyalty to what is efficient for you because you understand how to use it so when we're thinking about like what marketing's job is if part of marketing's job is to maintain current customer base whatever form that may be marketing has to think of its job as a knowledge transfer as an educational job at least partially. And there are creative aspects to that. But there are also just pure knowledge, just pure documentation, just pure educational pieces of that. So I think that that reality has to redefine marketing and go to market strategy and total business strategy at some level. And at that point at which it's redefined it, it also has to redefine all the tooling and process and methods we use to accomplish these goals, which is, I think, comes back to structured content being kind of the foundation. foundation of this capability. Oh wow. Yes, indeed.
0: What do you think is Dita's role in this structured future? I mean, I know that's a very loaded question for somebody whose company name has Dita in it, but what is your sense of how Dita fits into a structured future?
1: I, you know, I think I can actually probably give you a relatively fair answer to this question. Of course, I'm going to have some bias. I'll, I'll try to take my sales hat off as much as I possibly can. DITA has a place probably at every organization that creates enough content that they need the things DITA provides. So what are those things? DITA is largely presentation agnostic. It maintains linking structures really well. It does componentized reuse really well. It serves document style content probably better than anything else out there today, unless you're looking at like really specific things like mill or S1000D or journal authoring, whatever, JATs. So unless you have like a very specific use case, if you have just a general document use case, you know, be it contracts, SOWs, proposals, long form user guides, repair manuals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All this stuff that like really is documents. It's not just every page is page one style content, Data is really good for that stuff. So it kind of scales up really well, but it also scales down really well. So it scales down to answer style content, like micro content, integrates with learning content really well too. So so that's not to say that it's the be-all, end-all for content. It's really not. It shouldn't be the only thing that you're using. So, like a great example is we do some of our API documentation in Data, but we don't do all of it in Data. Like we use YAML for some things. I think it's YAML. It's whatever the Open API standard uses. You'll excuse me. I'm a little bit further away from some of these things than I used to be. But we use a different structured format because it's the right format for that particular application. And then they're basically custom schema. Now they still decompile back to Data for us because a lot of our tooling is set up around that. So. We we use more or less custom schema for some of the other things that we do because data doesn't describe that stuff very well and we wanted something more lightweight or more semantic in what in the way that we're using it downstream i think there is still a place for unstructured too so when you think about like where does unstructured fit anytime you need to create something where the document is the thing so like it's never going to be anything but that document like google docs is great for that so taking notes sharing notes collaborating on email responses like i mean my notes for our podcast here. They're in Google Docs. And it's because I'm never going to publish them anywhere. There's no other system that's ever going to connect to them. And the priority for collaboration and connection is my ability to share this with one of the other people in our marketing department and have them come in and screw around with it easily. So the presentation doesn't need to be consistent. It doesn't need to be brand aware, any of those types of things. So I think that in the mix of content creation tools, like there's room for unstructured for certain applications. And then there's room for like highly structured, which is where data fits. Data not fully structured, obviously, if we want to be really technical. And then I think you look at the ways that developers will work with things that are either highly structured, like Open API spec type style documentation, or things that are very like developer to developer communication. So you look at like readme files, which are often written up and Markdown for GitHub. That's the only place it's going. And it doesn't really matter how structured it is. It just needs to tell a developer how to install this package like that fits there. But it probably doesn't need to be chopped up and put onto a dev site or into an App or something like that. So, data occupies this space where it's long-term maintenance of content. It's very scalable. It can scale up to being large publications, and it can scale down to being micro content. And I think when you get to a certain volume of content, it's really good for reducing the overall maintenance overhead that you see with it. You know, due to things like management and automated publishing, that tends to be quite good for what it is. And the ability to componentize it and add in things like variables into your text and things like that, which maintain reuse structures. So. Adding at that level, DITA fits really, really well. And then I think you can blend all these things in around it. And if you have an open system, all these things can work together. You, know, you can pull content, even from like Google Sheets, if you want to, into a system like EasyDITA. You can ingest Markdown, you can mix it with your data, and you can have tech notes that are written in Markdown and they show up in your user guide or on your doc site or wherever that may be. You can document your API in YAML or OpenAPI or whatever it is. And that's a section of your doc site. And you can have links off to procedural guide based content, which is written in DITA and is just more applicable to that particular implementation. So I guess it's a really long way of saying it fits at the higher end of structured and in content spaces where there's a document style application. So things have tables of contents. And if you need that to scale up really well, either to multiple products or multiple languages, or you need the ability to inject true semantics and in document metadata into that content to serve downstream processes.
0: Love it. So there's an argument to be made that data itself needs never be uttered inside of a marketing department, not because it's not being used, but because it doesn't need to be necessarily understood if our content capture is aligned with data downstream. However, if you were presented with an entirely non-technical director of marketing in an enterprise responsible for, let's say they're a product marketer and they're responsible for one particular product on a global basis, and they're used to working through IT or at least a marketing operations version of IT for kind of any content presentation. What would you tell them about data as an orientation to sort of why should I care?
1: So in some ways I actually agree with where you started on this, which is data need not be uttered. I would start by talking to them about structured content and I would talk about how that serves their messaging requirements and their messaging objectives and inside of that conversation I would like to describe where data fits, where JSON style custom schema fits, and where some unstructured might fit if that's part of the mix. But if you're talking about doing like holistic campaigning, and you're looking to create messaging that's consistent across materials and endpoints and all that kind of stuff, whatever those things may include, the ability to develop content in a way where you can remix it and you can reuse it very, very efficiently is really important to these types of operations. Great examples like landing pages. Now, now, I know that a lot of the web CMSs out there have relatively good functions for pulling pieces on landing pages, but a lot of this stuff gets pretty complicated. And it's still one of those things where it just doesn't totally fit all the time. So like, it's kind of like, you can say add three blogs to this. So like, okay, if those things are blogs, they can show up or some other like very type-based abstraction like that. Whereas if you have content and you have a modernized team for delivery of this content from a web perspective, you can take and you can read assemble content, a data methodology, which is to say, data map, pull in these three or four pieces, and you can publish that and it can generate a landing page from a number of variety of pieces. So like if you're messaging out to, let's say, like industrial manufacturers or something like that, and you've got 10 different messages that you want to try with these organizations, you may have a bucket of content components. And inside of five minutes, you can create 10 different data maps lined up with these different components that will all render out into different landing pages. And then you can go out and you can test this stuff. And because you've separated the presentation and the actual content, your ability to set these things up and to iterate through testing and seeing what's resonating, it's orders of magnitude faster. And I think that that's good for marketing, but I think it's good for customers too. Because what you're trying to get to is you're trying to get to a conversation with your customers that they understand. A lot of times, you know, the only way to do that is to kind of like it's to try it and to see what they respond to. So if your technical stack is limiting the amount of things that you can try and the rate at which you can try them, you need to look at your technical stack, and that's going to probably flow all the way back to how your content is stored and managed. And you know, data is an option for some of that, but that's not the only option. There's other ways to do it. I and mean, a lot of teams do it in other ways. But the benefit of DITA is that same content can be easily rendered into other things. So you can go out with white papers from that same content, or you can grab pieces of white papers. It doesn't have to be like a blog. It can be a chunk of a white paper. It could be a paragraph, it could be a section. It could be one line. It could just be the images are reused, and you can put that into your landing page or vice versa. The ability to remix is, is pretty infinite, realistically. So go to print, go to white papers, go a digital hard copy, go to instructor led training. So maybe some of the stuff that your learning department is putting out is really valuable from a marketing perspective, because you found that this is presented to people in the classroom, they really light up, they understand this, this is obviously valuable to them. Well, if that's locked away in a PowerPoint somewhere, it's much harder to exchange those things easily. Whereas if that content is created in a structured format that can become PowerPoint or can become a landing page, the tool chaining around that and the communication is much, much easier leave a comment on that paragraph at mention your head of marketing they would see it in their email say hey we've done three trainings every time we get to this slide this piece of content people light up maybe you should think about putting this on a landing page grab that chunk throw it in the landing page publish you know that whole thing that whole tool chain between your training department and your marketing department sharing content in a way where you're taking experiences from your people on the ground and moving that into web-based public delivery of content that whole thing takes 10 minutes and like how would you do that before if you didn't have a structured system? Now, Obviously, there's some aspects of features and easy data in that explanation. But like whatever system you set up should have that capability. So it's that stuff. It's that speed. It's that capability. It's that it's just how fast you can iterate and how effective you can be doing it. Like that's what people should care about. The people who care about that stuff are the ones who are going to be more successful. So I would argue that especially marketing people should want to be in that category.
0: Okay. And in the tech comms world, this is an unusual conversation because data marketing are usually not uttered in the same sentence. And so we're trying to find ways to create a lingua franca around structure um, so that we can tie in with data and tie in with all the systems of record that can handle data compliant XML. So let's look at the other side of the enterprise over in tech comms where structure has been advanced for many years. And most organizations, at least five years, but um, there's a number of organizations that um, structure has been around in in one form or another for upwards of even 20 years back in very early days. And I'm curious about the role of EasyDita within the overall landscape of CCMSs. How do customers end up choosing EasyDita instead of something like Fasant or Astoria or IxiaSoft? Also on the tool side, compared to somebody purchasing a cloud-hosted or installed, version of something like Oxygen as an XML editor and other XML editing products and IDEs. What are your thoughts about the technical communications landscape, CCMSs, and where EZDITA fits into that whole environment?
1: Sure. So you know, I'll answer the Oxygen question first. So we integrate with Oxygen. A lot of our customers, some percentage of their, their teams use Oxygen. I think that Oxygen isn't my preference in creating content, but I totally understand why it is for some people. It's a good tool. If that's your style of content creation, like if that's the way you like to do it, they've built a good tool for that style of content creation. I would never tell somebody to stop using it because I don't think they should, which is why you know, we integrate with it. And, you know, our customers use it and they use us and it's good. It works out well. As it relates to... To like repository side. So like the other CCMSs that you mentioned, I get pushed back on this, but I don't really tend to believe in like competitive research. So I don't really know what they do, to be totally honest with you. You know, I hear things and I believe some versions of some of the things I hear. I believe that every system that's being purchased out in the marketplace probably does something well enough to be validated its existence. But that said, it's hard for me to make a comparison to our competitors. What I will tell you is what I think we do well in our maybe approach to things and why I think it has advantages over what you could imagine other approaches being. So we have taken a very like web first approach to things. Our system is is a SaaS system. It's delivered through a browser, install stuff, that kind of thing, which is really nice from an I2 perspective. It's nice from a perspective of standing it up. It's kind of a one click stand up for from the customer's perspective, which is gets them up and running quickly. There's not long install periods for setting up easy data. I think that's a benefit. But like from a methodology perspective, I think we've really focused on kind of like the 80 or 90% of what people do that's really important. important with a slant towards collaboration so you know we do all the basic stuff the full ccms is in the marketplace there's actually there's a standard for this that a number of people worked on i think it's an oasis standard actually the other co-founder of torsec casey jordan was one of the authors of the standard Not, not the author one of the authors there's a standard that defines what a ccms should do and we comply with that but beyond that you know we have localization we've got high quality search we've got repository management link management metadata management enforcement of structure yada 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 all the basic stuff that you need to do to be a real ccms that adds real value for existing i would assume our competitors do i guess i don't know for sure because i haven't really used their software but on top of that what we look for is like how can we make things happen faster like just whatever people want to happen how can we make that happen faster and the big areas we focus on in service of that goal are collaboration and apis those are the things that like we try to own we try to do the best you know notice i'm not saying better but we try to do the best we can i think we do collaboration really really well. I think that is kind of our crown jewel. I think we're a really strong system from a collaboration perspective. At the time of recording, unless something has changed that I'm unaware of, EasyDita is the only fully collaborative XML authoring environment, period, anywhere. Nobody else has that. So that's a thing that we do that nobody else does. And what that means is that you can open up a Dita map in EasyDita. You can scroll through that map and you can drop your cursor in any topic and start typing, even if somebody else is in that topic or that paragraph or that sentence at the same time. So it's a Google Docs, style experience in easy data, in data, in structured content. You get track changes, you get threaded comments, you get real-time collaboration, and you get full contiguous document editing. So you don't have to add a topic by topic. And those things come together from the simple perspective of being able to like grab a share link and send it to somebody and be like, hey, what are you doing? Actually, I'll I'll tell a funny anecdote about that. So we're in the process of deploying this collaborative editor. And one of our customers who's used it or is using it now, they had an issue with their content the other day that they wanted help troubleshoot basically. So it was a content issue. It wasn't a software issue. It was something like, but you know, we still support that. So like, one of the things that we try to do is be good, trusted advisors to our customers. And one of our customer success managers, our CSMs said, send me a share link. And they ended up being the same topic at the same time and just talking through easy data as they were troubleshooting this. They didn't have to be like, okay, send me the file. Okay. Let me look at it. Let me open it up. Okay. I'll send it back to you. Here's the issue. Share link. Boom. Open it up. There's the problem. Here it is. We're all set. Thanks. So, like just those little things happens inside or outside of an organization, allows people to collaborate better. And you know, we're really proud of that. And we think we do that really, really well. And then the other thing, the APIs, we try to be a good neighbor inside of content ecosystems. We will integrate with whoever needs to be integrated with. Our APIs are there. And if you look at like three point integrations, so you got your APIs, we got our APIs, you need a point in the middle to make them talk to each other. You should be able to put a point in the middle between our system and another system and use the full suite of content management management tools that are in easy data from that third point so can talk to the other system. So that means setting up your own like continuous integration servers or connecting to a delivery layer or connecting to an app or your own software for like context sensitive help or whatever it may be or a database you have. So like let's say you've got a database full of values and you want those things converted into variables that people can set inside of your documentation. You know, we've got customers that re-import their entire like parts database or pin database, you know, if they're a semiconductor in easy to do every single night. It's like millions of values. Easy to do scales really well. So I know we kind of market ourselves as being kind of fun and new, but um, where we scale really well from an enterprise perspective. So you take those millions of values, you put them in, they're all keys, people, and everything's consistent. It's being kind of a good digital neighbor inside of uh, the organization. That's the things we do well. We think we take a modern, good approach to existing inside of a company and adding value where we should and not trying to capture other people where we shouldn't. And we think we do collaboration really well. And we think we that's speeds things along for people in the authoring process. There's a lot in there. Well, thank you.
0: And I didn't realize there was a a real-time collaborative editing a la Google Docs um, product in the space. So that's good to know. So we've really gone a lot further and deeper than we uh, traditionally do on this podcast. Let's end with one broad question about um, tackling content sets that are moving to structure. And your advice for somebody that is looking at a pile of content, sometimes that pile is 400 pieces, sometimes that pile is 20. 50, 100,000 or millions of assets. And they're looking at that pile considering a a move, a shift towards structure. What advice do
1: you have for somebody in that position? Uh, What should they consider in their journey? It's a great question. I think there's a couple of big points I would make on that. So I think the first one I would say is content first, tools later. So I think you need to be aware of what tooling is going to bring to your overall infrastructure. But I think these things need to be content-led. I think you need to decide where content exists in your organization, which is sometimes to say, like, whose heads is it in? And then you need to decide where it needs to end up, which actually is also kind of whose heads does it need to be in? And you need to focus on how that content gets between those places. Because realistically, like, that's content right? The whole purpose of content is in content ecosystems is to move knowledge from one person's head to another person's head efficiently and hopefully like without friction. And tools are going to play a role in terms of like how people interface with transferring those things around and that kind of stuff. But like in the middle of all that, you know, you have to decide what content do we have? What is the isness of our content? What is this piece of content? Is this a procedure? Are these things components? Do these things describe pieces of our products? Like take the content and abstract it away from this is a document, this is a user guide and think about it at a more granular level. Like think about like what these individual pieces are and like what they mean to people and like where they come from. And you know, do your homework. Like spend time on it. It's really important and valuable. And if you look, I think, you know, I would have said five years out in the future, three years ago, I don't think it's necessarily two years, but in the very near future, this stuff is strategic. You need to be able to really efficiently educate your people and efficiently educate your customers. And you need to be able to do what I like to call pre-customer education. Really efficiently, too, which is another way of saying, you know, like you need to be able to message to your prospects. But if you start to look at them as being pre customers and your goal is to be transparent and educational with them, I think the way you engage with them, the way you deliver knowledge to them changes. So I think that making that shift, because I think as buyers, we've made that shift already, right? I think that we buy now more than we're sold to. And I think that in a lot of organizations, you need to catch up. And that catching up is really a function of the way that you create and deliver content to people and then that has to come back to how is your content organized typed structured assembled delivered and curated maintained and sourced so start at the really at the base and the base is just what does the content look like okay what tools should interact with this okay what formats should these things as they are as content units be and i know if you're like c level or vp level or whatever you're probably not doing this stuff by hand or yourself but you should hire some content architects internally or externally you know consulting or not consulting or both. And you should make sure that the homework is done before you start buying tools. Because I think all too often people are like, oh, we're going to buy a new learning management system. Or, oh, we're going to buy this new CMS. And, you know, this is going to solve our content problems. Or, oh, we're going to buy Watson and we're just going to dump all of our documents into it. And it's going to magically answer questions. Guess what? It's not. Don't do that.
0: Love it. Thank you so much for your time, Patrick. This has been a wide ranging and deep ranging conversation. I feel like we could talk for hours more. So uh, thanks for surveying the landscape together.
1: Enjoyed it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. Anytime. So uh, talk to you soon, Chris. Thanks, Patrick. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.